you're listening to the Movement Podcast with Sarah and Stacy. Hey, Stace. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How about you? Good. The sun's shining, so I'm I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. So this morning, Sarah is going to be sharing her testimony with us. Yeah. Been very prayerful over what to share, and um, a lot of people are praying for for today. So I'm excited. (laughs) Me too. I've been praying for you as well. Thanks. Did you have scripture that you wanted to share before we started? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we're going to, as I was preparing for um, today, I I asked myself the same question I asked you last week, Stacey. Why testimony? And God brought these two scriptures to mind. Um, The first one is from Acts 20, um, 24. And it says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Testimony sharing is not about us. It's about glorifying God and sharing the good news. And then the second one is um, Acts 26. I'm going to turn there. And it says, um, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. That's the good news. It's, it's sharing what we've seen and will see, and that's our testimony. So it's it's a big deal. God um, calls us to share our testimony. So I think, and I hope that through that, other people will feel like they can share too. Yes, absolutely. Um, can I pray for you real quick before we get absolutely. started? Absolutely. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Sarah, for the heart she has for Christ, for her bold faith, for the work you've done in her life. And I pray that Sarah's testimony brings others to you, Lord, and that as she shares how your grace and mercy have done a mighty work in her life, others are spurred on. I pray, Lord, that as you continue to write Sarah's story, she uses her testimony you've given her to not only glorify you, but to grow your kingdom. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I grew up in Bremen. There was just two of us, my sister and I, I was the oldest, but we we're only 15 months apart. So um, when you have, at least in my own experience, when you have two girls only 15 months apart, there's a lot of competing. Like we competed for our parents' affection. We competed in school and sports. Unfortunately, school, she always had the upper hand. <laughs> um, maybe sports I did, I don't know. But um, And then we did 4-H and everything. And we were always just trying to compete for our parents' favor and affection and to be good enough. I base my worth on success um, through all of it, through the grades, through 4-H, through sports and and everything. And um, I always came up short. So I always grew up with that feeling of not being enough or worthy. My grandpa died. So I could totally resonate with you, Stacey, last week um, with your grandma dying. But my grandpa died when I was 10. Um, and actually yesterday was the 30th anniversary of him dying. So it just kind of brought all those memories back. But I remember laying in bed, trying to read this little Bible that we had for some reason, cause we didn't go to church. Um, we went on Easter or Christmas or whenever we spent the night with our grandparents. Um, but I didn't know a lot about God or the faith or anything like that. Um, I just knew that when we went to church, we stood up and sang hymnals that I had no idea what they meant. But um, after my grandpa died, I started just wondering about heaven and just thinking, 
well, is my grandpa in heaven? And what does that mean? Can I talk to my grandpa? Can my grandpa see me? And I just remember reading, trying to read a Bible and my 10 year old self, it was probably like a King James too. I don't know. But, um, just, I, I can look back now and see, oh, that's when God started to pursue me. Um, so that is kind of neat. Um, I, in eighth grade, I found out that I had an older half sister and, um, it just threw me for a loop. Um, we were, I'll just share this little story quickly, but we were in at the fairgrounds. It was, um, horse and pony. And, um, I was sitting on my horse ready, ready to go into the arena. And my dad said, you see that girl up there? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, that's your older half sister. I'm like, what? He's like, but don't tell anybody. And of course, what am I going to do? I was a 14-year-old girl. I went right to my best friend <laughs> and told her, and then she told everybody. And um, that was the beginning of my life being turned upside down because I was no longer the older sister. Who was I? And I saw my dad, who felt so much guilt and shame, um, try to make up for all the years lost of not having her and it, or not being in her life and like buying her gifts or being really excited to see her and he wasn't excited to see me. You know, I've been there every day and um, I just, I felt a lot of worth issues. Like I didn't know who I was. I remember laying in bed just thinking, it must have done a lot of thinking in my bed when I was little, <laughs> thinking, who am I? If I'm not the big sister, if I'm not da 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 da, who am I? Um, so then the very next year, I my freshman year, um, we were at a football game and um, I had a couple of friends and one of my friends had an older sister that was a cheerleader and she was cheering and there was this guy that came and he was checking out, not checking out because he knew her. He came from Northwood and he was like crushing on this cheerleader who happened to be my friend's sister and he would sit with us. Um, and he ended up asking me on a date instead, it ended up being my husband. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing is, I, I was 15, freshman in high school, had a whole bunch of worth issues. I ran headfirst into that relationship because for the first time in my life, I felt like I was enough to somebody mm -hmm. and I felt like I was worthy and I felt like I was you know, pretty enough for somebody. And so I ran head first into that relationship. And, um, you know, I knew that sex before marriage was wrong, but, um, and, and initially I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to save myself until I'm married because I was a very, um, black and white, you know, right and wrong kind of person. But, um, like it, you start justifying things, you know? And so I remember being, you know, my 15, 16 year old self trying to justify, well, they do in the movies, they have sex before marriage in the movies. It's, it's fine, you know, or, uh, well, we're going to get married. And so you just kind of fudge those lines. And, um, at 17, I became pregnant with my oldest and, um, I didn't tell my parents until I was four months old or until I was four months along. <laughs> and, um, my parents were not happy. And, uh, it was not a good time. My, I think I can share this without my dad being too, um, upset with me, but he, 
I told him and he stood up and went across the room and punched a hole in the wall and broke his hand because he was just so mad but disappointed. Like I was on track to going to college and, and everything. And um, here I was pregnant, 17. And um, it, it was hard. And we went pretty much the rest of my pregnancy without talking because I was mad at him for being embarrassed of me. Now that I'm an adult and a mom, like I get those feelings that come and all that, but um, yeah, it really hurt. And so I went through a lot of time of um, just feeling unworthy. Like, look at you, Sarah, you've messed up. You've embarrassed your parents. You've um, messed up your future, you know? So it was, a, it was hard. It was a hard time. Um, we moved in together in January or in November, I'm sorry, and then had her in January. And um, I remember being in the hospital, just had her, and my family, uh, they were just in love as soon as I had her. So all those, like, hard feelings and everything, mm -hmm. completely gone. It's it's amazing how God uses kids that way. But um, everybody else left. My dad stayed behind, and he was by the bed with me. And I um, had, like... I was so hungry that I ate this like cheeseburger, I think it was. <laughs> and then I got sick and he was holding the trash can while I was puking. And that's my, not my dad. It, you know, like my dad is like 10 miles away when somebody's puking, but he was holding that trash can. And like, that was the first time like, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're okay. Um, so that meant a lot to me. And obviously I've never forgotten that. Um, it was neat how, um, my family kind of rallied around me. I was on track to graduate with honors and, um, I had a lot of credits in high school. So I was able to go down to just one class a day after I had her and my grandma would come all the way from South Bend to Bremen every day and watch Michaela uh -huh. while I went to, um, school. And then, um, I was able to graduate high school. So we got married. I was 18. Um, I started going to college at USB. Again, my grandma watched her for me. Um, and my grandma, she taught me a lot. Um, I, I remember her teaching me how to sew, how to can, how to, you know, cook, because I didn't know how to cook, um, and how to take care of a baby. Like, God has, God really used her to show me how to be a mom. Um, so we have a really close relationship. Um, but uh, I hated being away from, from her. And so, cause I was working. Um, and so I went down to like a part-time job. I think I can't even remember. Um, and I just, I had that urge just to be a mom, just to be a stay at home mom and just be with her. So we started going to church probably right around the time that we were getting ready to get married. And, um, we were going to premarital counseling and the pastor that we were the only pastor, because back in the day, if you were living together, um, they wouldn't marry you. So like we had to pull some strings for my, my grandma's church. And um, he he was gracious enough to do the wedding. But he's like, well, we're going to do premarital counseling. And um, we're like, OK. And he looked at us and said, you need to take your daughter to church. And he goes, it needs to be in your community. And we we took him at his word. We're like, all right. So we started looking and we had a friend that came to CGC and, um, I was so scared to walk through those doors because I was an 18 year old unmarried girl with a daughter, you know, and I thought they were going to be like, nope, you're not welcome here. It was so the opposite. 
and we were loved on and taken care of and um, welcomed beyond our wildest dreams. And um, CGC became our family really quick. Um, we had our second like a week before I turned 21. Yeah. But um, because that's what we thought you did, you know, like you, you get married, you have your 2.5 kids. Da, 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 da. I was very much like I wanted a white picket fence. I wanted the ideal life. Well, it turned out that it, that's not how it works. And marriage was really, really hard. And um, we when you I've learned when you start things backwards, you have a lot of just natural consequences. Our finances were awful. Um, we were extremely immature. We brought a lot of emotional baggage with us. Um, Brad would be downstairs playing PlayStation because he was young too, you know, mm -hmm. and I would be upstairs on the computer. And that was back in the day when you had like chat rooms. And um, again, I was seeking. I wanted to feel pretty. I wanted to feel worthy. And Brad wasn't doing that for me at that time because we were not getting along. We were fighting more than we were getting along. And um, so I just started seeking and started talking to this guy in um, the chat room. And um, God tried to stop me. Like looking back, I mean, my computer would just shut down and I would just get right back on. You know, and I felt that like, you know, like twinge of guilt and everything, but I just ignored it. Just mm -hmm. got got back on. Um, and it got to the point where, um, it was an emotional affair. Like, you know, when you are that obsessed and invested, there's no other way to describe it. He did not live around here. Um, but we were making plans to meet and, um, you know, I was making plans to divorce Brad, <laughs> like not maybe like, outright intentional but like in my mind I'm like yeah this isn't good so um one day we were having people come over to our house and I wanted to introduce my best friend to this guy and so we went in the room and I locked the door and like 10 minutes later Brad pounded on the door and he's like you can stop talking to your boyfriend now and I'm like <gasps> what how did you know yeah, and I think him saying those words out loud, it was enough just to wake me up to what I was doing. I think before then I was able to like, yeah, it, I'm just covering up. He doesn't know, you know, and just justifying it and everything. But um, he went outside like he was going to leave, and I followed him in my socks, you know, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I explained what I had done, and I'm like, "Would you, will you please forgive me? And he did, just like that. Mm-hmm. It, that was definitely an act of God mm -hmm. as I look back. And he's never brought it back up, not once. Um, so I cut off all communication, but like a month or two later, um, I was on my way to go to college. And um, I was like, you know, I should probably just check in with this guy and just see what he's doing. Because it's hard to just shut off something that's been, you know, like an emotional tie for so long. And um, it was a day, it was a morning where um, it had like rained and then snowed. So it was like black ice underneath snow. And I was just like absentmindedly thinking as I was driving, like, I'm going to go and connect with this guy at school. It's going to be harmless. And um, I lost control of my car. And my car just went, it spun 
in the back end and granted or just so you know my two daughters were in the back seat because i was on my way to drop them off to my grandma's before i went to school and my car spun and hit uh an electric pole the next person that was coming said that it looked like fireworks shooting into the sky and so i get out of the car really quick and i i don't know what you're you don't know what you're doing in a car accident like that you know so i grabbed my girls and I had them both on my hip and then I looked up and I saw the electric wire like mere inches from my car. And um, the back window was just shattered, you know, like the, the girls had glass all over them and everything. And so I talked about waking up when Brad called me out. But this was God calling me out. I knew that it was the hand of God on that car. I knew that he spun that, but he also protected us right. and my kids. But it was enough for him to say, wake up, Sarah. And so I did wake up. And from that moment on, I was wrecked over my sin. Like, what did I do? And not only my sin, but the danger that I put my girls in. So Michaela was going to preschool at that time. And I had these fears that he was going to go and just grab her from preschool and kidnap her. I had come to learn, like, this is probably straight from Satan. You thought who was going to grab her? The the guy that I was talking okay. to. Yeah. But like this guy would tell me um, when we were chatting, like, oh, you have beautiful lips. You, you're you so, you're so pretty. And you're, like, he was like saying everything that I wanted to hear. But afterwards, I'm like, that was just Satan. I know it was just the, the straight temptation from Satan. Um, and just going right at where I like am the most insecure, which was my worth. But um I remember just being so overcome with anxiety that I couldn't sleep at night. I was overcome with my sin, but also like fear. And I would get up and just pace. And we had a really big picture window in our house. And I would look out and I would think, oh, he's walking down the the street. And I would just get so scared of like what could happen or um, what's probably going to happen. And I didn't deserve anything because I was such a sinner. And, you know, turn my back on my, not only my husband, but God and, and all that. And, um, I would just go, someone had given me a Bible, like we were going to church, but I was still like not connecting the dots and somebody had given me a Bible and, um, I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I would just go and just open it up randomly. And I'm not joking. Nine times out of 10, it would land on Jeremiah 29, 11. Wow. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And eventually, and I clung to that. I clung to it. And eventually one night I couldn't stand up underneath the weight of my sin anymore. And I literally fell to my knees in my kitchen floor. Everybody else was sleeping. And I just cried out to him and I told him everything I had done. And he he obviously knew everything I had done, but I had to get it out there. Mm-hmm. And like, God, I can't. I can't do it anymore. I can't hold it anymore. I can't um, live this life like this anymore. It's yours. Just take it. And I remember just holding out my hands and just saying, take it. And that was the moment of my salvation. It was the complete surrendering. Mm -hmm. Like I had been going to church for a couple of years and heard the gospel shared and raised my hand every time. But it wasn't until I was on my knees saying, it's yours. Take it. That I know that I was saved. So, um, uh, Brad and I reconnected and, um, (laughs) I got pregnant with my third and I call him my redemption baby because it was just kind of like a, 
gift from God. Like, here you go. You know, here's, I'm going to restore your marriage. And um, then we had Keegan um, two years after that. So we had four by the time I was 24. Well, I got my tubes tied after Keegan. And um, it just, there was something that was just not right with my mood. It was very cyclical. But um, you know how most people have one bad week and the rest of the month is probably like, a you know, decent. I had one good week and the rest were bad. Like my life was just run by this thing called PMDD. It's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And um, it made life miserable. And I feared it because I it was cyclical. It would happen the same every month. And I would get really depressed. I would get really irritable. Um, I would just check on autopilot because I wanted to protect my family from my moods and my, you know, um, and, and so I just check on autopilot and just, and just check out. And, um, there were more times than not that I was just like vacant and just trying to get through the day. Eventually I met, um, and I was meeting with a, a mentor and she's like, Sarah, do your husband and your children a favor and go to the doctor. And, um, I went and, um, I was put on fluoxetine, which is like an antidepressant, um, medicine and it doesn't cure it. Like I still, to this day, like I have really bad weeks and really high weeks where I'm just like flying, but, um, God has given me the ability to, uh, just, it takes that edge off and it takes the, like the, um, the temptation to check out. Like I'm still engaged and raising my kids and, you know, but it was hard. It was really hard. So you have that. And, um, if you would get onto any PMDD, uh, forums, you would see that worth is a big thing because you feel like a piece of crap. Like you, when you make your husband's life miserable or when you're, you, get irritable with your kids, like your worth is just nothing. Um, so again, struggle with my worth. Um, when my nephew, and I cannot remember what year this was, but when my nephew was four, we were all, um, swim, there was a whole bunch of moms and kids swimming in, um, a pool. And, um, we were all just talking, kind of guarding the deep end. And then all of a sudden my sister said, where's Luke? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Just kind of expecting him to be, you know, like off on the side of the pool, just playing or whatever. And all of a sudden she started screaming. And I turned around to see what she was looking at. And it was my nephew face down in the water, bluer than blue. And I was the closest one to him. So I like ran to the middle of the pool, um, pushed his body up. And our friend Vicky ran around and started CPR. And I remember just crying out for God to save him. Like he was blue. And God, please, uh, please save him. Please save him. And I remember my sister saying, God, you are good. If you do, you're good if you don't. And um, it felt like forever. It probably wasn't, but more than like two minutes. But I remember like, because I, I was kind of like holding his body up while she was doing CPR. And I was like, like looking at his eyes. And it was just clouded over, but eventually like little life came back to his eyes and then his chest moved just a little bit and he started breathing again and then like, you know, coughed up the water. But, um, that was a huge miracle that I witnessed. Um, 
But what's crazy is that miracle, it almost had the opposite effect on, on me and my sister, I think, because we we were so thankful that God saved him. But then we were like overwhelmed with the thought of, but what if he hadn't? And like he like dealing with a death, like it was almost like he died. And I went through the deepest, darkest depression I'd ever been in after that. And you would think I would have been like flying high. And then, yeah, it was for like a day, but I had a lot of PTSD and flashbacks of him being in the water. And um, combined with my PMDD and everything, I just went into such a deep, dark hole to the point where I was like, I sure hope Brad locked up the guns. And just because I was just like, had those fleeting like thoughts of just be so easy. And um, it took a lot of prayer and um, just crying out to God to be released from that stronghold. But it was a, it was a big one. But not long after that, um, our friend Dustin, who he was in our small group, friend of Vicky, the one that did CPR and our nephew, um, he died in a car accident. And um, not only was it so hard to lose a friend, and he was such a good friend and such a good guy, but um, I had been given the calling to walk with my friend through being a widow. And we, I, would, I lived on emergency mode for an entire year. And um, I became extremely um, obsessed with death. Like I even like wrote out my funeral plans in my Bible and, and everything. And um, like three months after he died, we had already had planned to go on a missions trip. And I didn't think I was going to be able to go because I'm like, well, who's going to be with Vicki? And, you know, and, and then she's like, Sarah, go. And um, we went and I remember staying, or sitting. It was kind of like the thing to do, go up on the roof of the orphanage and watch the sunrise because it was amazing. We were surrounded by volcanoes and everything. And um, you saw the glory of God through that sunrise. But I was sitting there and it, the orphanage was like on top of this mountain. So you can't, you look over and there's, it's a long way down. And again, I, I remember sitting there thinking, just be so easy, just a bloop, you know? And, um, that's when God spoke to me and he had given me the verse, um, Psalm 27, I think, um, something about the land of the living. And I was like, Oh, that makes so much more sense. Like God has given me this calling, this life to proclaim him. And I can't do that if I'm obsessed, obsessed with death and dying. And, um, not that it was um, easy after that. It was still hard. And I was walking with my friend through moments of just being like literally on the floor of her office in her room, just crying and saying, God, this sucks. Like that was our mantra. <laughs> God, this sucks. It sucks. Um, but I never experienced God like I did on that mountain and walking through um, with her. And it taught me so much of how to deal with, um, not deal with, but walk with somebody who's suffering and to not just like duck the hard things, but like to meet them right where they're at, like literally um, just being available and just being there with them where they, like if they're having a good day or if they're having a bad day. Uh, we often say that we're gonna write a book together, like how to go through something so tragic and how to walk somebody through it because we learned so much, but 
that was a big thing for us too. Um, so, um, not long after that, Brad came up to me and he's like, so I think God might be calling us to foster. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we have four kids. And, um, he, long story short, gave me dreams of fostering and like having a little baby and everything. And we went through the the process. We drug our feet. Um, we said we were going to have school age because I worked too. Lily ended up getting a three-year-old and a six-month-old. And then a year later getting their two sisters, which they were five and six. And um, God has just brought us through so much just through that process of fostering and like seeing his hand of provision, um, building onto our house, getting um, a huge van and being able to pay it off within a year. God has just been so good and so faithful, but fostering's hard and I have PMDD and I'm not in the best mood all the time. And so like the worth thing, um, I struggle, constantly struggle with that. But one thing, if I could sum up my testimony, it would be, um, that I've always, always struggled to know my worth, but at every turn, God was whispering his worth over me. And I am learning that um, I cannot and will not earn my worth, that God calls me worthy because I am his, period. And there's so much safety and security in that. I can just rest in that. And there's nothing that I can do to make him love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. Um, he has, he calls me his child because I am his and I've gone from beggar, you know, just trying to find my worth however I can to princess. And it's about time I start living like a princess of God. So um, he's been so faithful. Um, but yeah, there, that's my testimony so far. You have such an amazing story. Oh, thank you. So much. God's grace. Um, yes. God has just given you so much and you've accepted it and used it and turn it around and shared and glorified him through it all. And it's just amazing. Oh, thank you. Yep. I have so many questions, but I know we're like running out of time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, so how many years have you and Brad been married now? 20. It's amazing. And we're actually going to go on our official honeymoon this May. Oh, yay. Good for you yeah. guys. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so you have four kids. We have four biological and you are fostering four kids. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you guys, I've seen you through the fostering process and just, I could just cry because you have such a beautiful family and it's just amazing what God is doing in your life right oh, now. Thank you. It's if you were in the walls of our house, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. Like I, at the end of the day, I can say, man, we're blessed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Next week on our podcast, we will be kind of just talking about what we're going over in our personal quiet time. Mm -hmm. um, maybe over the weekend, next weekend at the women's retreat, we'll record a little bit. We'll yeah. see wherever God leads us. And then the following week, um, Dawn is going to be on talking about healthy healing. So Very good. I'm excited. That's all we have this week. And Sarah, I pray that your week goes well and you just get all ramped up and ready for the women's retreat. Yeah, you too. Thank you.